Hi there, and thank you for tuning in to Asking for a Friend. My name is Katrina Buffard, and I'm a clinical sexologist and psychotherapist. This podcast provides you with evidence-based information and real-world advice about getting to know yourself better sexually, and it covers all those topics that we would rather ask about for a friend. Just a warning, this podcast may contain conversations of a sexual nature and isn't suitable for kids. Ever wondered if you're the only one who gets those unwanted, strange thoughts that seem to pop into your head unexpectedly? You know the ones I'm talking about, like crashing your car, or imagining yourself pushing somebody in front of a train, maybe picturing everybody around you naked. What about something as upsetting as having sexual thoughts about children? In this week's episode, psychosexual and relationship therapist Aoife Drury and I delve into a topic that is definitely not spoken about enough. We explore how these thoughts are always unwanted and can cause someone immense distress, and what the difference is between the random intrusive thoughts that we all get every day and the immense distress that these thoughts can cause and what behavior they can result in. Aoife, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, I feel really honored that you gave up some of your very, very precious time in between your all of your clients, because I know you run a very full practice and you are, like me, embarking on a doctorate imminently. But I, I'm so thrilled to be talking to you today about a topic that you're quite passionate about and that you've got quite a lot of experience in. Yeah, I'm delighted. I'm absolutely delighted that we kind of chose this topic and, you know, the conversations that we've had about this and um, conversations I've had with other people and, of course, clients I see as well. Um, Intrusive thoughts are just so present all the time, and yet we don't really talk about them. And so I'm really glad to kind of use this opportunity to chat to you, hopefully people listen, um, and and just be able to kind of normalize and have this kind of open conversation around um, the effects of intrusive thoughts and, and how they can make us feel. I am big on the normalized thing. That for me is the biggest, biggest the thing I want to achieve the most in doing this podcast is normalizing topics, helping people realize I'm normal, you know, basically wanting to be Emily Nagoski, who in her book, you know, in the very early, very early on speaks about in her book, how, you know, that was the big thing that came out of teaching sexual education at college for her was people realizing that they are normal. And I mean, I remember when I was doing um, a diploma in cognitive behavioral therapy about five years ago, yeah, five years ago now, um, I remember doing the segment on um, OCD, obviously, and on intrusive thoughts, and being quite shocked by some of the research I saw that showed how common intrusive thoughts are. Mm, Yeah. I mean, we had this brief chat during was it last week mm-hmm. um around how common they are and how little we discuss them i mean you had one research paper said that said 90 percent um of people experience intrusive thoughts 
the paper I had was 93%, which is ex like incredibly high. But even I was saying to you the other day um, how we talk so openly with friends and family, or oh, sorry, openly enough around mental health. Um, I don't think I've ever spoken to people about intrusive thoughts on a day-to-day -day basis, but I'm more likely to talk about the anxiety and the not sleeping or, you know, eating habits or, um, uh, or maybe um, having and experiencing low mood. Um, so I think this is just a great platform to be able to just speak about how common they are, but yet not spoken about half as often as we experience them. And particularly um, intrusive thoughts of a sexual nature, right? I mean, if we're not talking about how common intrusive thoughts are on a day-to-day -day basis, I know that we're talking even less about intrusive thoughts of a sexual nature. Let's, let's start by maybe describing a little bit about what exactly is an intrusive thought so that those who are listening actually realize that some of the thoughts they're having are completely normal. Intrusive thoughts are unwanted thoughts they're not conscious ones like oh I'm going to make a cup of tea or um I'm really tired or my boss is really horrible to me today there's little thoughts that are going about your day that maybe you're actively making they're also not you know equally um we talk about this um with CBT and I myself having a, a diploma in CBT that um we talk about the negative automatic thoughts so those are the thoughts that kind of um, pop into our head that may be quite critical and um, so that critical voice and the narrative that may be hard on ourselves as well like I'm selfish I hate how I look in this dress and I should be working harder and they're thoughts that are not based on reality or desires they tend to be disturbing and distressing they're unwanted and they just live up to that name of being intrusive. They are very individualized, so they can vary from person to person. Um, so though there are common themes, it's all about the individual and what they experience. And, and I remember, you know, looking at a list of the most common intrusive thoughts. And we're not obviously going to go into general um, you know, we're not going into OCD and, and things like that, but looking at intrusive thoughts as a common experience, we have multiple, not, if not hundreds of times a day, looking at that list of common ones, like driving into a pedestrian on purpose, you know, imagining somebody naked, you know, yes. envisioning pushing somebody into a busy road or onto a train platform. Those are very, very common intrusive thoughts. You're not consciously thinking, oh, I want yeah. to do that. You're actually quite probably a little bit horrified at yourself that you have that thought. But it's a thought that comes up and you think, oh, my goodness, that's, I wonder what would happen if that happened. And then it goes away, right? But what would then make it kind of a more kind of, I don't know, more worrying in nature um, if those thoughts were coming up? And, and I think... The thoughts aren't the issue necessarily. Yes. It's what you do with them, which is, of course, a lot about what we, we talk about in therapy in general. Um, and one of the common ones that I used to always bring up in sessions with people who were experiencing intrusive thoughts when I was living in London okay. is standing at the side of a platform and the tubes arriving. A lot of people who don't experience intrusive thoughts in the sense of them creating distress and um, 
would have, you know, the tube may be coming and you, and you think, oh, what if I jumped in front of it? What would happen? You know, and then you kind of, you almost see that thought coming in and then you go, oh, that's strange. Oh, that's unusual. Oh, that's weird. Or, you know, laugh it off or dismiss it. Unfortunately, what can happen is the thought becomes stuck. So you become quite fixated on it, but it becomes difficult to kind of leave and you get more and more conscious about creating an energy around it by by fixating on it and it getting bigger, it becoming something that almost you're identifying with, that it's part of you. There's something wrong with me. Why am I thinking of jumping in front of the tube? What's wrong with me? Am I suicidal? Do I not want to live? You know, that happens quite often. But because we have this aspect of of being able to either, like that 93% of people, it's a very small number of people who get fixated on the thought. It's a really small number of people, actually, that get fixated. And and I think it's important for, for me to reiterate what you've just said, because it's so important. It's not the thought that's the problem. Mm. It's the meaning we make of that thought and what we do when we have that thought that is the issue. So we've spoken a little bit about, you know, a few common ones, you know, pushing somebody in front of a train or driving into a pedestrian, which again, very, very common. I have had those thoughts before. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about intrusive thoughts that are, are of a sexual nature? What do those look like? Can you give me some examples of those? Intrusive thoughts of a sexual nature uh, can be quite broad depending on the person. So the really common ones are ones that are based on taboo. So if we think about um, an intrusive thoughts and um, being unwanted thoughts, being ones that create distress, it's things that are normally quite upsetting for us. So um, things like incest, things like um, thoughts around um, children, um, and and also ones like um, uh, sexual orientation, even if you identify as being straight, maybe questioning your sexuality. So there can be a few different types of sexual thoughts, and they're all depending on the individual. The thing I think is important kind of to reiterate, as you said, is even though you experience these sexual intrusive thoughts, the thoughts do not have to have meaning. The thoughts don't define us. The thoughts aren't facts. That's a really important sentence. The thoughts are not facts. Very often I'm getting my clients to look at it when they look at it, well, when they're thinking about a thought, is this fear or fact? Mm. Is this yeah. real or imagined? And mm. Again, I think it's the meaning, you know, I don't think I know it is the meaning of that thought that we make that is the problem. So can you maybe in your experience, you know, you, you've been in practice for quite some time overall, like a broad example, um, some of the things specifically you've heard um, with regards to some intrusive sexual thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think with intrusive sexual thoughts, um, a lot of a lot of the time, uh, they're around an intrinsic fear of of um, doing something that may be considered very inappropriate, very wrong. So, in terms of very common, 
presentations of intrusive thoughts that are um, distressing and unwanted, which I think is, is important to reiterate in, in these, uh, that these don't have meaning and don't define you as an individual and it isn't necessarily what you desire, um, is, is harming um, a child. Um, so kind of pedophilic thoughts. Um, and that is just so incredibly isolating. And um, there's such a sense of distress around that and 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 fear, real fear that maybe maybe this is saying something about me. Maybe there is something that makes me want to um, react to this. Is this telling me something which is and I hope and I, I do think we will talk about um, how to work with intrusive thoughts if you experience them or even as a clinician. Um, but really what ends up happening is people focusing on why and and something being defective or wrong with me and um, so uh, that's something that I see quite common and it is not a definition of a person and and as we said at the beginning thoughts are not facts and I really like that you reiterated it's unwanted it causes distress and I remember when I was I was doing my um my master's in um in this in this field in the field of sexual health one of the real contentious issues that came up that kind of divided the class was around men or women who are having thoughts of, of engaging sexually with children and those thoughts being unwanted and causing immense distress and nothing have happened, but there was so much fear of what these thoughts meant about this person that mm -hmm. actually I mean, you know, again, it really divided people and it will divide people who are listening to this because someone listening to this may think, well, if you're having thoughts about doing something sexual with a child, that's wrong. And, you know, there's something really, really, really terrible going on there. But yeah. actually the person having those thoughts could be incredibly distressed by the thoughts, could lock themselves away, could feel that they could never see their nieces and nephews for fear that something yeah could happen it can be absolutely debilitating to have intrusive sexual thoughts and i think that you know we we think of of the real deviant behavior that might be associated to to certain i don't know sexual acts and mm -hmm. perhaps the the kink that might be associated to different sexual acts and so how do you actually differentiate between an intrusive sexual thought and a fantasy? Is it that kind of unwanted and distressing factor? Is there more to it? Yes, there is more to it. Um, I think I just want to start off in what you've said, which I think is so, so important um, because um, I've seen it. I've seen it from even I was started as a psychiatric nurse and I saw this happened quite often, this presentation of, of experiencing harmful thoughts towards children and worried that this is, uh, that, that they were going, to, that people were going to act on it. Um, and um, the difficulty is, is that as a result, if people meet that individual with disdain, with judgment, um, as a result, people end up internalizing keeping this a secret thought suppression which we know doesn't work that creates and maintains shame 
and shame keeps us in a space of alienation and isolation. So having these open discussions and being able to name it, I think is, is absolutely vital, is paramount actually, to help people's mental well-being. Um, and it doesn't, these thoughts, like listening to you talk through those, those examples, I, I can feel quite a visceral reaction in me of, of, of quite a lot of sadness for people who do experience these, these very intrusive, very painful, um, shameful, feeling shameful um, thoughts. Um, so if we take that, and I think that's a really, really good point, is, is um, the difference between the, the, the intrusive thought versus a fantasy. And I think what's important is to understand that Sexual intrusive thoughts aren't desires. They're not wanted. So a sexual intrusive thought is not desirable. It's not wanted by the individual. Mm. That's the difference between a fantasy. Now, of course, fantasies can start off as being riddled with a bit of shame and a lack of understanding and, and feeling, you know, that there's something wrong um, and that can be worked through with with you know reading materials talking to a therapist you know blog posts out there and and being able to normalize there's a difference with this uh, uh, sexual harmful particularly intrusive thought i think that that was such an important point you know the things that differentiate the intrusive sexual thought to the fantasy are that intrusive sexual thoughts are not desires. They are unwanted and they cause an immense amount, immense amount of psychological distress in somebody. A fantasy can bring about feelings of shame, of course, but it's something that leads to a sense of desire and arousal very often, even if there's shame associated to having that fantasy. And actually I often hear that with, uh, from women who say that they have fantasies of rape. Um, mm. that they feel ashamed mm. for having that fantasy and that it arouses them. That is different to an intrusive sexual thought of, I don't want this thought. I wish it wouldn't come into my mind. This has nothing to do with my levels of, of sexual arousal. So I think maybe that's a very good example um, that fits in with what you're saying. Yeah. And I think just on that point as well, that just, the difference between desire and, and arousal because what can happen with intrusive thoughts and you mentioned actually Emily Nagoski earlier in the normalization that she does and she like I think she does it so eloquently and when she talks generalizing but equally when she talks specifically about herself and gives her own experience so you you're reading it and you're going oh okay like it's not just me because it feels so personable but also is um arousal non-concordance too so something can be sexually relevant without being sexually appealing as emily nagoski would say so if that thought which is an unwanted intrusive thought may bring a physiological arousal don't take that as it, it being a, an indicator that that's what you want that that is sexual intrusive thought is a desire does that make sense so I, I, th I think that makes you know that makes perfect sense and just because something a thought is of a sexual nature doesn't mean it's going to arouse us you know we may 
as you said, experience arousal non-concordance where there is a, a disconnect between, you know, objectively, oh, this is a sexual thought and subjectively this should arouse me or should not arouse me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that that's a, that's a really, really valid thought. Yeah. You know, so, oh, a really valid point. Um, in your experience, you know, if somebody's struggling with intrusive sexual thoughts, is it something that they can overcome? I mean, how, how would you work with somebody who is experiencing this, this, type of, um, this type of experience? It is absolutely possible to overcome sexual um, intrusive thoughts. Um, firstly, I, I kind of want to say um, a little bit about how they can originate um, in terms of um, the, the, the different things that people may be experiencing, which allows and facilitates intrusive thoughts become becoming stuck. Um, so things like depression, OCD, um, PTSD, particularly complex PTSD, general anxiety disorder, postpartum depression as well. Um, and I think it's really um, important to kind of recognize that they're how you know that they do become become stuck and actually i treat the sexual intrusive thoughts like i treat any other intrusive thought um it just may be that some of the for once a better term even though i always give out to myself for using this phrase but most clients do even when i correct myself is homework you know exercises so um i think that that's really a important is, is that they're treated just like any other um, intrusive thought. Now, sometimes there's things like when we've discussed before, exposure therapy that's based in, in, in CBT, sometimes that can't necessarily translate into like, the kind of sexual components of things. That doesn't negate the possibility of working with um, sexual intrusive thoughts just like other intrusive thoughts. So actually for you, there is a great, I mean, obviously it's the complete similarity, but I mean, how does this affect one's sexual experience? What what would it do to somebody who was experiencing intrusive sexual thoughts with a partner? What what would be happening? I mean, if we and it's quite a mm. quite a broad question, but how does this impact um, one's experience of sex? Yeah, and I think you know that the, um, that's absolutely important to recognise that also there can be a partner involved too. And so sometimes it means having individual therapy and couple therapy um, and and getting that kind of holistic support. So firstly, I think it's intrusive thoughts create anxiety. So if we think about this like any other form of anxiety, um, intrusive thoughts are like a speed bump to the sexual response cycle, that they just like generalized anxiety they, they're the alarm bell in our amygdala, which is the fight, flight or freeze, you know, and it creates a discord in us. And um, and then not to be a geek about it, because I am a geek, though, um, the <laughs> hypothalamus, you know, my favorite thing is, is the hypothalamus, <laughs> which sends a little message to the pituitary and then down to our um, adrenal glands. But that's where our cortisol is released. That's where our adrenaline is released. That's where we start to like react to things as well. So it's not, it's a whole body experience when an intrusive thought comes in, just like it is if there's any other anxiety there. And, you know, I was talking to, to Kate Moyle in a, in a podcast um, last week in our recording about sex and anxiety, how, for me, I view sex and anxiety as the most unhappily married couple that you could possibly ever come across or have sit on your yeah. couch as a therapist, right? 
because yeah. when when your your brain is getting a signal um and you know the brain can't 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 differentiate between what's real and what's imagined when it's getting a signal mm-hmm. of what it thinks is threatening it's it's sending messages to the rest of the body so as you said cortisol gets released that's the stress hormone adrenaline gets released that's the 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 kind of response that we're going to have with that yeah. fight flight or freeze as you mentioned for me what i tell my clients is it's like I mean, why, if you needed to run away from a threat, say a lion, because we had to learn, you know, lions were dangerous, why would it be helpful to get an erection or have an orgasm? Mm. It's not going to be helpful to have an erection or have an orgasm or get sexually turned on when your body is in a threat state and just wants to keep you safe. And what you've just said, basically, the sexual, intrusive sexual thought is like the lion. Your brain Mm. sees what it thinks is a lion and goes, no erections, no arousal, you know, d- no orgasm. Don't, don't yeah. get into that because that won't keep us safe. Yeah. So actually, break, break, break. Exactly. Exactly. So it shuts down the sexual system from working optimally. But you did actually mention earlier what people might do with those sexual thoughts. And, and I wondered if we could talk a little bit about some of the strategies, unhelpful as they are, that people might use, you know, when they're having sex to try and get rid of those thoughts that are coming to their mind. What are, what are they doing or what are they thinking? Yes, absolutely. And I think the really, um, the great thing that you said there about the, the stress and anxiety that are, are sitting in, on, on the couch together, um, very, very unhappy, um, is one of the big things, a really easy example, is avoid. I'm not even going to try and have sex. I don't even want to. What if that intrusive thought comes up? What if that comes up and, and, um, and is defining me and how I feel about my partner and how I feel sexually? So I just will avoid sex altogether, which of course causes um, uh, issues within the dynamic, relationship dynamic, and, and um, in itself is, is an issue. So that, that's the first thing I normally see, avoid. So different strategies that people tend to implement. I think the first thing is is compulsions, um, which is in and around kind of OCD particularly. So they're repetitive behaviours. They're, they're things that maybe dilute or um, ease um, what the, the thoughts that are coming in. Um, so they can be physical actions, um, you know, if there's thoughts about um, STIs, for um, example, it can be, you know, washing and rewashing afterwards um, uh, it could also be things like um, mental rituals or counting so mental rituals are ones that um, may be kind of trying to list things off perhaps um, or label um, so to be able to decrease the anxiety um, it could be yeah making lists um, and so that's another thing that people do um, but the other big part, which maybe brought out into into um, a, a bigger area of, of intrusive thoughts in, in general, is people interrogate them. Um, interrogate the thoughts? Interrogate the thoughts. So there's a few metaphors I use. So the metaphor is, in terms of the sticky thought, is, is that idea of, I don't know if you know that little um, finger trap game. So you normally get them in the seaside, you know, people are selling them um, uh, by the edge of the beach, perhaps. Or you get them in Christmas crackers, right? Yeah. 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 
I mean, I've never gotten one in a It's like a Chinese finger game. Is that what you mean? Like, yes, that's what it Chinese is. Finger yeah, game. Chinese finger game. I didn't know if it, I never really knew if it had an official name, but um, the finger I don't think game. Chinese finger game is the official name, but let's go with it. <laughs> so it's a little trap and you put your fingers in it on either side. Now, um, sorry to anybody who, spoiler alert here, who um, may have... Uh, not know what this game is and um, I'm giving away how to to get out of it but ultimately you get your fingers stuck in this little trap and the person opposite you is telling you okay get your fingers out and 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 instinctively you start to pull out right the more you pull the tighter it gets and you're going tighter and tighter and tighter actually it's about pressing and releasing and your fingers can slip out now that's what people do with intrusive thoughts they fight and fight and fight them but actually you give it more energy you give them this platform to be able to think that there's some sort of vip sitting opposite you you're almost interrogating them you're interviewing them you're questioning why they're there the thing is these thoughts aren't if we think of them like a vip they're not renee brown <laughs> They're not Oprah, they're not Glenn and Doyle, they're not sitting there meeting you with compassion and love and care. They're the Simon Cowles, they're the Katie Hopkins. <laughs> and you're actually just giving them more energy and more energy to make you feel bad about yourself. So that's my little metaphor of what, what, what intrusive thoughts are. I think so that don't that's... invite them in, don't let them in. And the more you fight with them, right, the more you Mm. resist, the more you try and push them away, the more you doubt, the more you check. We know, you know, what research shows us is that the more you doubt, the more you check, the more you try and neutralize, the more you try to do something to get rid of them, the less that it goes away, the more force it has on you. And and actually that it's whether you, you, you try and get rid of the thought or not, you still experience anxiety relating to the thought. So yeah. the action associated yeah. to the thought is meaningless. Um, it makes no difference to the level of anxiety that you might feel. Yeah. So if someone thinks it, 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 what, so, I mean, as you said, I love the way that you framed that, right? You said, you know, you can't treat all of your compassion. You, you can't treat all of your thoughts with the amount of compassion that Oprah or Brene Brown would show you, you know, wouldn't mm. that be lovely? Um, so what would be some, you know, practical pieces of advice or tips that you could give to anybody listening who's going, Oh my goodness. Like I thought this was just me having these thoughts and I've just heard them say that actually the actions that I take or the mental processes I go through to try to get rid of them actually doesn't do anything. It makes it worse. So Mm -hmm. what would be some practical advice um, that you could give somebody listening, identifying with this to try and um, work through what it is that they're experiencing? You know, I always say to clients, at the very beginning when they're struggling with their intrusive thoughts and when they're saying to me the the maybe the rituals that they're doing or the compulsions that they're doing or how they're avoiding sex or you know minimizing experiences for themselves um even if we think about that example of of kids and and the idea of having these sexual intrusive thoughts and sometimes clients will avoid being in spaces where there are children like you said actually you gave the example earlier about you know avoid seeing kind of like nieces or nephews that's actually giving energy because you're expending time you're giving it airtime back to Simon Cowell and and Katie Hopkins 
they've they're still in the room they're, they're still sitting there um they may not have the microphone but they still have a stage so um i think it's about um the the first and i know this feels very counterintuitive um not to give the energy and by not giving energy i mean allowing that thought to come in labeling it as an intrusive thought and asking it to leave or moving on with your day so same concept somebody's come into your door and you said "Ooh, not today thank you like here's the door out you go not over not focusing just acknowledging that they're there and opening the door for them to leave so i would be starting with just meeting that thought without giving it energy without giving it time just a name and off you go see you later it's a real mindful practice isn't it and mm. and actually what people may think mindfulness is is being in the present moment and paying attention to the present moment but what research shows us makes the biggest difference when engaging in mindfulness regularly is the consistent practice of compassion of bringing mm. yourself back to the present moment in a kind and compassionate way that's what makes the biggest difference and it's that kindness and compassion you need to show yourself when you do have an intrusive sexual thought to say this is just a thought this isn't me this mm. is just a thought this isn't me and to allow that thought to just be a thought you know we spoke about fear versus fact earlier on it's just a thought just it knocked at the door don't let it in don't allow it to come and sit down and start taking over you know your your life i speak to my clients a lot about the bully in their mind or the, the squatter in their mind mm. Um, I know that Brene Brown mm. calls it the voice, right? We all have it. Mm -hmm. All of us have it. No one is, is exempt from that, you know, no. lovely little characteristic. We all have the voice, the bully, the squatter. And I like to talk about the squatter because it's very hard to evict a squatter. Um, that squatter ain't getting evicted. That bully is not going away. And the analogy I use, and you've been using one about the, the front door and the, the Chinese finger game, which I'm sure one of my listeners will um, contact me and let me know the actual name of that game after, <laughs> after I release this podcast. Yeah, please let me know. Please let us know. Um, the analogy that I use is it's like the bully on the playground, and, and, and forgive my Americanism here, but every time that thought, um, that bully comes up to you, and every time you try and do something to get rid of that thought, it's like you've just given the bully your lunch money. And the bully then knows, oh, they gave me their lunch money last time. They'll definitely give it to me next time. And so the bully keeps coming back and keeps coming back and keeps coming back. And so it's when you don't give your lunch money, as uncomfortable as that feels, when you sit there and you're like, this is uncomfortable. I don't like this. I want to do something to get rid of this thought. I don't want to be around my nieces and nephews. Something bad will happen. There's like, catastrophic thinking there. It's giving the bully the lunch money. Yeah. You can sit with those thoughts, recognize that they're uncomfortable. And as you say, like with your analogy, not let, not let them in, not open the door, you know, not invite them inside and actually try and stay with the discomfort that you're feeling rather than trying to get rid of it, what we see is that that discomfort slowly starts to dissipate over time. 
And so the more you put yourself into the situation that you fear the most, the better you get at tolerating the discomfort that comes up and coping in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on that point, it's, um, it's any energy that's expended and any time we think, like if we think about the thought as being a muscle, because we talk about physical health and, and fitness and we all have, um, most of us do, okay, maybe I'm admitting to something here, uh, follow, you know, fitness people on, on Instagram um, and, um, and how to build muscle, right? Um, and I often use um, physical wellness um, and mirror that um, and those analogies into mental health. Um, because they're not much different and we need to kind of start talking about mental health like we talk about physical health um, but ultimately it's it's a muscle that you're making stronger the thoughts are exactly the same so if you're fixating on going to the gym and working like you know your biceps um, it's the same concept with those thoughts by by feeding into them and by building up that muscle um, by by working on them yeah it's, 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 it's a brilliant, brilliant way of looking at it. And I think that when we start to recognize that we, we do fuel the fire sometimes in ways that we don't realize are actually not very helpful, um, it's causing this problem to continue. It's causing the distress to continue. And we're not doing it out of, out of conscious choice. We're doing it because we're trying to make ourselves feel better or decrease the discomfort that that thought brings up for us. I just want to say, because I think it's really important as a therapist, when somebody comes in with intrusive thoughts and are in a great deal of distress and are, you know, as, as we mentioned, doing checking, doing rituals, um, avoiding sex, um, uh, uh, you know, fighting these intrusive thoughts, thinking it's, it's going to make it better and um, that not happening. And I'm sitting there saying, well, actually, if you do something that feels totally different, do something totally different, which feels very alien and feels like it's against what is right, why wouldn't I question this thought? Because it says something about me and I'm saying, no, ignore it. Like it, It's something that I really talk to clients about very gently on my first session with them, talking about intrusive thoughts because it sounds so easy. Just ignore it, you know? Just don't let it in. No, I'm not for a second. I know you're not for a second saying the same thing, Kat. Like, it's it's a very counterintuitive thing to do. And so absolutely starting with compassion as a therapist, um, ensuring that it's normalizing that actually intrusive thoughts, 93% of the population, um, and and also, even if it's a bit of disclosure of saying, you know what, I experience them too. Um, and I'm meeting it with compassion and going, I know what I'm saying to you sounds like I'm ex- expecting it to, it to be super duper easy. No, I'm not. Um, it's going to take time and it's going to take practice. And mindfulness is the first step because mindfulness, yes, is about being in the present, but it's also about the non judgment, that thought coming in and not giving it space and time. And we, the, the research that's come out, eight weeks, and if we remember, I mentioned the amygdala earlier, the fight, flight, freeze, 
alarm bell going off. After eight weeks of mindfulness, research has shown that the amygdala can get smaller. So actually, mindfulness, although it feels very counterintuitive to be present with your thoughts, allow them drift in and out, actually has a quite, quite a, a big physiological response to it. I mean, yeah, I practice mindfulness myself. Um, could be more diligent with my practice, but I definitely <laughs> know. Yeah, couldn't we all, right? Um, we all have the best of intentions, but life, um, you know, but I know that when I do practice it regularly, especially when I'm feeling well, you know, I'm better equipped when I'm not feeling great or when I'm having a bad day to manage those thoughts. And it's because mm. it's a consistent practice when I'm feeling well that makes the big difference. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the way that I like to end off every podcast is, is to ask my guests, you know, when it comes to this topic and the work mm. that you do, what's been the most surprising thing that you've learned in your work? I think the most surprising thing for me is actually the work that I've do with clients and how much that aids me I think one of the big things is is actually the normalizing part of it and that sometimes clients come into me and they tell me things and I go oh I have that too oh I experienced that too you know like we're all normal we're all people and I, I I really think that's the important thing is is even when you mentioned there around um around mindfulness um I preach about it, but I don't always implement it myself. Actually, I definitely don't implement it myself at times. Um, so I think it's it's about how we're all, you know, I know um, <laughs> I'm about to quote our um, Tornishta here, but we're all in this together. Um, and I think that's, that's the most important thing for me, that sometimes it's about remembering that um, we are all in this together and we are, uh, there's 93% of us in the intrusive thought category. I'm sure, I'm sure there's some digits off there. It's probably even higher. I think it's probably even higher. It's been such a pleasure chatting to you today, Aoife, and just so interesting, you know, such a, 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 such a relevant topic that mm. I don't think I've ever heard friends, family, colleagues, clients talking about openly and discussing. Mm. So, I'm so glad that when I reached out to you and said, I want to talk to you about something you're really passionate about, that you chose this. Because I think that, well, I hope, should I say, I don't think, I don't know that for certain, but I hope that this podcast helps one person realize that the experience that they're having is quite normal and it's an experience that they can overcome. So thank you for, for joining me. Thank you for having me. Got a question you'd like to ask for a friend? Reach out to me via my website or Instagram and I'll be sure to include it in a Q&A episode soon. You can subscribe and follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it.